take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. On this uh, special day, I thought we'd just take a break from the book of Romans. There's something that I've, I've wanted to talk with you about for some time, and I thought that today would probably be a really good idea to do just that. If I were to ask you, how's your ministry going? What would you say? Some of you would be thinking like, uh, you know, I don't even know what you're talking about. My ministry, I don't, I don't really have one. Others of you would start thinking like, yeah, I'm involved in this activity or I do something like this in the church and I'm, I'm working with the kids or youth or yeah, I've got a college ministry, I'm in a small group. And you start thinking some activities that you do. Um, maybe some have made a significant investment of time or some resources and you start thinking about that and all of those things are extremely important. It's just that that's not really the greatest ministry of your life. In fact, the greatest ministry of our lives we oftentimes really don't think a lot about. We don't give a lot of consideration to it, and yet it is the most significant. And I just want you to know this, that the, the greatest ministry of your life is your life. And if you really want to understand what does this look like, how is it that our lives and just how we go about our day-to-day existence is the greatest ministry of our life, you, you'll want to take some close attention to the passage we're going to be looking at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. But before we actually get there, I want, to, I want to give you a little background because you need to understand what is taking place here. When Paul wrote the 2 Corinthians, it's written about AD 55, 56, it is an extremely transparent letter. He really just kind of opens up his heart and you actually get to see what life was really like. And and it might shock you if you've not spent a lot of time in this book, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. He's saying life was so heavy and so difficult, and the distresses that we were facing, he said that we despaired even of our lives. We're like, God, just take me home now. In verse 9, he says, indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, he will yet deliver us. You ever feel like that? Life is so heavy, things just kind of keep coming apart at the seams. And as he keeps going here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you're going to find that they faced hardships as they're doing their ministry in Asia. They were under attack. They were being criticized. Their integrity and their character was being assassinated. It looked as if like this whole forward movement of the gospel, especially in Asia, was about to collapse. I mean, it looked like total defeat. And they felt highly discouraged. And maybe you can relate. And it's even uh, as you get moving here through in chapter 2 and verse 13, they're like, you know, we're actually looking even for one guy by the name of uh, Titus. We can't even find him. There is no rest in my spirit. We just kept moving. And you get the idea that life was just coming apart at the seams. But then you actually start seeing what does it look like for a person who's mature in Christ? How do you overcome all of these difficulties that on a very regular basis hit us pretty hard. Well, that shows us what the greatest ministry of our life is. And it all begins with trusting in Christ's triumph. Look at this in verse 14. You see that he's despairing, that he's facing all these difficulties, but look at verse 14. But he says, but thanks be to God 
who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Let me tell you, it's Thanksgiving that opens the key, is the key that opens the door to begin to experiencing, once again, God's triumph. And so he begins by saying, but despite all these difficulties and all these hardships and the fact that I don't feel very well, and in fact, maybe I feel depressed. In fact, later on in this letter, he actually says that he's depressed. Despite how I feel, I'll tell you where the triumph is found. It's found in Christ. And he says, I thank God. Thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph. Now, when he says the word triumph, you're, you're thinking, some of you are thinking of a particular car. Some of you are thinking like, well, he's, he's having some victory here. But you need to understand that probably the most grandest events in ancient times was what is called the triumph, or as a Roman triumph. If you were a victorious general, and you had accomplished some significant feat, they would have a grand parade, and you would be honored and now, it was, it was something that, like, everyone would gather for. And let me give you just some of the details on this, because in order to understand the triumph that Paul is speaking, you have to understand the background of a Roman triumph. Now, there were certain conditions to have this. You just didn't get this giant, like, ticker tape type parade for just anything. You had to have a victory in battle that was complete and decisive. You had to conquer a foreign foe, and in one of your battles, you had to kill over 5,000 people, you and all your soldiers. The conquest had to expand the territory of Rome, and it had to put an end to the war. And all these criteria were evaluated by the Roman Senate. And if you were the leading general in such a conquest, if all of the criteria were met, then they would appoint a day in which there would be a Roman triumph. And you, the general that led the forces, the Roman forces, were going to be honored beyond anything you could ever imagine. And there is a lot of under, uh, detail that we've learned about what a Roman triumph looked like. But first of all, the streets of Rome would be absolutely lined with people. In fact, I even read one account, they actually built scaffolds so people could actually sit and see this. All of the many temples in Rome, all of the priests there would all be burning incense. Incense would be wafting through there everywhere. And there would this be this giant procession, and in it would be the conquering general. He'd be riding in a chariot. It was to be led by four white stallions, and he would be covered in a purple garment that had gold woven in it. He had a laurel wreath. He had a Delphic laurel in his hair. It was this wreath. He was the victor. He had a scepter. He looked like he was the king. He was the conqueror. And behind him were his sons. If he had sons, they followed behind him, and they got to share in the joy of this experience as they saw their dad honored beyond belief. With him would be all of his warriors, and they'd be marching. Sometimes they would be singing songs of the victory. And not only that, you have all these soldiers marching, but they would, just like, a, like the Rose Bowl parade, they would have these floats. But it wouldn't be like little people throwing candy and stuff like that, or giant balloons of Mickey Mouse or anything like that. They would actually have these paintings of scenes from the battle. Or they'd actually have people standing and acting, kind of like, so you can kind of get an idea. Or they'd have pictures of cities that were conquered. And then they, behind that would have all these treasures. You'd have the standards of the countries that they conquered, or these people. Then you would have, like, their gold, their silver. Anything that they felt was, was valuable, it was in this parade. And, and with it then were also the members of the Roman Senate, as well as all these different priests, and they'd be carrying these bowls of incense, and the incense was everywhere, and the air just literally took on a completely new aroma. 
And the crowds were cheering, and he was taking this all in. He was making his way up Capitol Hill till he gets to the place where he's at the Temple of Jupiter, his God, where he will then go and present this laurel wreath as a, a tribute of appreciation for giving him this grand victory. And followed this, following this amazing time of parade would then be this great banquet for the general and all of his soldiers, and it was a public banquet. But there was one other set of people that were part of this parade that had a completely different experience. And that was in the same parade toward the back, they also had all of their captives, people that they had hauled off from this other country that they had just taken over. And this, for them, was their end. For everybody else, it was celebration. The smell of that incense was just like, oh, this is the smell of victory. This is the smell of triumph. For the guys in the back that had been beaten and whipped and some of them were chained, they were being herded like cattle and they were going to face their execution. Some of them got ripped apart in the Colosseum by animals. Some of them were going to be just executed by whatever manner seemed fit. Some of them would be made slaves. It was a completely different experience for the captives. When Paul says that Christ, do you see this? It is Christ God who always leads us into triumph in Christ. He is saying that Christ is our victor. And you need to understand it in context, that he doesn't feel victorious. He actually feels defeated. He doesn't feel overjoyed. He feels discouraged, yea, even depressed. But what he does is he focuses his eyes and his hope on Christ. And that is where he experiences the victory. These Roman triumphs, like you actually see this in some of the Roman art. Uh, one of those is like the Arch of Titus. You can actually see this today. And in this relief, you actually see what that particular triumph looked like. And here's actually a picture of that. This is actually from the conquering of Jerusalem. And you actually see elements of the temple that are being hauled in there. This is the most celebrated event. And when, we, when Paul talks about that we've got triumph in Christ, it means this. We stand in the victory of Christ. We do not fight for victory. We actually live from victory. Christ is the one who has lived a perfect righteous life. He was crucified on our behalf, and he rose again, and he is absolutely victorious over sin and death. Even when it looks like, man, these are tough times for the followers of Christ, you need to remember he is absolutely victorious. And if there's any question in your mind, all you need to do is read the very last book of the Bible, and you see him coming in his triumph. And we, his people, we're following the victorious king, even at times where it may not seem that he is as victorious as we might like him to be. And this is our hope. It is Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you that there's millions of our neighbors that think that followers of Christ are really just moralists, that we kind of have a code of morals that we've kind of found from the Bible of things we do or what we don't. And they think that that's all there is to Christianity. Actually, Christianity is all about the victory of Jesus. And we recognize that we are sinners and we once were slaves to sin and he has bought us out of the pit of darkness and bought us out of slavery and redeemed our lives and united us with Christ. Our message, our gospel, is that Christ is victorious and we are trusting and relying completely on him. And when Paul then talks about the triumph, that is what he's referring to. 
And so what we want to do, friends, is develop patterns where we are looking to Christ. You get in a lot of trouble when you keep relying on your feelings and keep focusing on your feelings because sometimes you don't feel all that well. What the active, proactive, mature Christian always sets his sights back upon Jesus and thinks of his victory, and you are renewed in the inner person. Don't be surprised in your life, and I find this regularly, that God puts you in situations that are simply beyond you, that you don't have the strength, you don't have the wisdom, you're not even sure what to do, and you are woefully inadequate. You do not have the resources. God puts us in those situations that we'll be mindful that he's the conqueror. In fact, Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8. He says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And he says, for just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But listen to this. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And that's where our victory is. Do you want to know that the greatest ministry of your life is trusting in his triumph? We're failures, yeah? We're trusting in him who is absolutely victorious. But let me tell you something else that we learned from this passage. It's not only trusting in his triumph, it is living out his likeness. You see, the greatest ministry of our life is not only trusting in the triumph of Christ, but as a result, in response to who he is and his working in our life, we begin living out his likeness. And notice what he says, verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death, and to the other, an aroma from life to life. Well, he's calling to mind the exact same triumph. Just like there was incense that was being burned and that smell just permeated the air and all these flowers were on the streets and as these horses would come by, they would crush those flowers and that scent would just be permeating the air So it is with our lives. You and I who've been united with Christ, the gospel tells us that it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And we who once were lost and dead in our trespasses and sins, once were his enemies, have now been brought to a place where Christ now starts coming and flowing out of our life. We represent him. And just like there was that incense in the parade, so now our lives are a fragrant aroma of Christ, and that is the greatest ministry of your life. For some people, just like it says, it's life. They see Christians, and if you're a Christian, there's, there's just rejoicing to see the work of God in a person's life, to see the character of Christ being displayed. It is life to life. It's kind of like you can meet someone on an airplane and find out that they know Christ, and you can have a bond that is thicker than family ties. You can talk about some of the deepest issues of your life. Why? Because it is a ministry of life to life. You're united with Christ. But for those who have rejected Christ, your following Jesus is an assault to their pursuit in life. You're telling them that their self-made man or their religion is actually not right. It's not what God has desired or designed. And to them, it smells like death, and they don't want it. I mean, just think about some of the different aromas. Some warn 
others attract. For instance, so like, I, I love this, when you, when you come home, and sometimes it happens where you, you walk in, and it might have been a hard day at the office, you know what I'm talking about? And, and I walk in, and this is what I do, this is a confession, I just... And just by that, I can tell kind of where we're at, if we're having dinner tonight or what stage that might be. You know what I'm saying? I can even tell if they're sitting at the table, okay? And I'm like, I, when I smell food, okay, and I'm very attracted to food, I, I, it just compels me to the kitchen, man. And it just, I just cannot wait to get there because it smells good. It draws me in. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And then there's also like, like for instance, like propane, now, you know, propane, uh, in its natural state, it actually has no odor, nor can it be, it's not visible. But they actually add an odorant to it, and it's pungent, okay? It is meant to smell bad, and they put it in there. Do you know, do you know why? You take too much propane in, and you're not going to be thinking straight, or you may not even be alive. It's dangerous, and it's flammable, and it's a warning. And you, man, there's, there's a gas leak somewhere, right? And it, you address that gas leak. Now, um... I had one experience that I, I, will, I think I'll never forget. In fact, I'm going to even tell you about it. I, was, I uh, got invited to go to Russia to teach hermeneutics, which is the art and science of how we interpret the scripture. I was teaching a two-week class to all these Russians. I had interpreters. Okay, don't think like, wow, the guy speaks Russian? No, I don't, you know? Uh, and, you know, it's a long flight. I think I flew and drove for 24 hours. I finally get to Spaskabubetskoskerkov, and I get there, and I get a few hours of sleep, and the first thing that I'm doing is I'm preaching in a church to all these Russians via my translator. You know, and I'm, I'm really tired, and I'm working, it's working with my translator. It's really good when you have a translator because you have a lot of time to think while they're translating, okay? So I got through this message here, and there's all these people, and the Russian people I found to be very friendly, and they wanted to meet me and talk with me despite the fact that I always had to go through a translator. This one guy in particular... Uh, I'm a big believer in personal space. Okay, I like it. This guy did not have the same convictions. And he is like right there in my face, and he's talking very loud because I, he thinks that if he talks louder, I will understand him. And we do the exact same things, right? And, and that's fine. I can work with that. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay with even this. Uh, but his breath was like, oh! I think my eyes were watering, and I'm doing everything I can not to be the ugly American. I'm, I'm holding in there. I'm like just standing there like this. And he is talking really loud, and his mouth is open. And like, this is a guy in need of dental floss, a toothbrush, and a good dentist, man. And it's just, and it's, it is so strong. And then, you know, I've thought about that at different times. What is it that I leave with people? What is it that what my life reflects, man? Am I just knocking people out? <laughs> or is there something sweet and pleasant that reflects the likeness of Jesus? Am I a halitosis whore? Or is there something about my life that is attractive and that speaks of Jesus? I'll tell you that for Jesus, this was his life and his ministry. There was just something about him that just emanated love, grace, and the character of his father. If you want to understand who Jesus is and, and why he came he re came to reveal the depth of love and the character of the Father. And everything that he did, from his interactions to his miracles, to his private times with his disciples, to all the many times that he's praying, all of this was meant to reveal the character of his Father. It's kind of like for Jesus, his life was his ministry. 
There was a fragrance about it. It was, it was sweet. It was desirable. You know, like, have you ever tried to describe perfume to someone? Okay, I don't know how they sell perfume. I don't have a lot of experience there. But how do you describe something that is almost indescribable? Well, it smells kind of like flowers. Okay, well, that's good. There's a lot of flowers. But you see, it's hard to describe. And so it is when it comes to us being, like the text says, the fragrance of Christ to God. But there is something that is very evident. You can, man, that smells good. That's how it was with Jesus. You see, it wasn't just an accompaniment to his ministry. The fragrance of Christ, that was his ministry. And it had a profound effect on people. For people that were highly religious, and they really felt that they found their self-worth and their identity and their religion. And I'm speaking specifically of the Jewish people. And man, they were following the laws when they encountered Jesus. Smelled something about his life. It was so very different. It's, for some of them, it, it made them yearn to know God, to know Jesus, and they wanted to be by him. There were others that were already quite dissatisfied with a legalistic life. Others had completely walked away from God or had wrong views of God. When they encountered Jesus, there was just something so very different about him. You know what it was? It was the fragrance of his presence. It was the essence of heaven. And this is who Jesus is. It was the characteristic of who he was, his inner nature as the living God embodied in man. It drew people to himself. And of course, there were some people that, uh, that didn't think so highly of him because his was an aroma of life to life, drawing people to himself, but others who weren't so interested in him and his ways and his truth, they were repelled. In fact, it got so vicious, they wanted to put him to death. It's kind of like the high priest. You remember in the, the, the people of Israel, they had a high priest, and he would go and he'd minister in the temple. You know, one of the things they built and the, had in the temple is they had incense, and it was actually described exactly how you make this incense, and it was forbidden to actually ever build, to design this incense and construct it and, and, build, and burn it outside of the temple. There was one place and one place only this kind of incense was to be burned. And then the high priest was in there. Of course, as he was in there, it would actually just kind of permeate his clothing. It would be a part of him. He probably didn't even notice it after a while. Initially, he'd pick it up. But he, as he did the activity within the temple itself or within the tent of meeting, that scent would actually just be a part of him. And so when he'd come out, people could smell it. There was something about him. He had been in the presence of God. And that's what it was like with Jesus. And that's what it's like for us. His life is being lived out with us. And we are to have the essence or the fragrance of Christ about us. By the way, it is your most important ministry. That's interesting. Perfumes don't take on the flavor of their surroundings. Actually, it's the other way around they actually just emanate that particular scent. That's what it's to be to our life. You know, we are pretty good at actually having the world shape us into its mold. As those who know Christ, it's the other way around. We reflect his presence and his essence. And one of the, one of the ways in which we perhaps demonstrate the presence of Christ best is in our suffering. When a flower is crushed, when the incense is burned, and when our lives go through hardship and trial, there's something about our lives that just spill over that we are trusting in Christ and his triumph. It's kind of like this, and there's going to be some breakdown on this analogy, okay? But it's like going to a good barbecue place. You know how that is? 
I mean, one of those, you know, where they got that big pit and that is kind of center stage. You walk in there and, and there's just like, there's all this smoke just coming up there. And you look in there and you see these glowing coals and this fire, okay? And you see all that meat on there like, ah, oh, yeah, you know? And you just walk in and that just, that, there's like smoke that just kind of fills the air. And you're just walking in there and you're taking, oh yeah, you know? And it's like, I don't care if this costs $25. I got to have some of this, right? And you spend time in that restaurant you just eat yourself into oblivion, right? You know what I'm talking about? And then you, you finally leave, and maybe that was like your lunch, right? And then you go back to the office. You need to know, and you ever notice how this works? Whoa, where have you been, right? Everybody knows, man, you met at the barbecue place. And for some people there, man, this is the scent of paradise. I'm like, man, where did you go? Because I need some of that, Right? And they're like, that smells awesome. And of course, everywhere you go, you know, and you got appointments, and, and I've done this. I mean, it permeates everything, man. Your clothes, your hair, your skin, and you're meeting with people, and you're like, why are you crying? He says, you know, it's because of you smell, you know what I'm saying? Because it just, it's all over you. For some people, it smells like life, man. I want some of this. On the other hand, there are some people that, um, they have a different take on your smell. They, uh, they certainly are aware that uh, you've got the smell of something that's been burning, but they don't like it. They would prefer that you take a shower and change clothes. But even when you wash your hair, and I find that you have to do it twice, right? It still kind of lingers. That's kind of how it is in our life. We are like the, the fragrance of Christ, and for some people, it's life. For others, I don't want anything to do with it. And yet, you know where this comes from, don't you? It comes from being in the presence of Jesus. It's very much like when they, Peter and John, remember in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, they were observing the confidence of these two guys, and they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They had not been with a rabbi and trained with a rabbi, and they were amazed, and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Do you want to be the fragrance of Christ? You have to trust him as Lord and Savior, and you have to spend time with him. And as you do, your life takes on the characteristics of Christ. Now, I want you to know, as you reflect his likeness, it's going to have a polarizing effect. That's how Jesus did. Jesus is still today the great uh, polarizer, okay? It's kind of like you put a magnet down with all these metal filings, okay? And some are attracted, okay, and they're like, they're northward, and others are going to go to like the South Pole. And just like you see here, there is an effect that a magnet has on metal filings. And there is an effect that Jesus has on people's lives. Some who are yearning for life, hope, forgiveness, redemption, they are attracted to him. Others that want to go their own way, they got their own system, their own self-made religion. They don't want you toying with their idols. Guess what? They don't, they're repelled by Jesus. And so it will be for you. That is why Paul writes in verse 16, and who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate to be an emissary of Christ in such a way that your life emanates his presence? Who's adequate for such an, an activity? Well, I'll tell you, he actually answers that question in chapter 3, verse 5. No one. No one is adequate. In fact, look at chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. 
That's right. You and I, we are broken vessels. We are inadequate. But God chooses to use the broken. He uses us in all of our failures and our faults. And he transforms our lives from the inside out so that we become the fragrance of Christ. It's how he chooses to glorify himself. Now, he says in verse 17, we're not like many who are peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ and the sight of God. This word peddling comes from the Greek verb to corrupt, and it refers to those who were like corrupt hucksters or con men that through their cleverness, they were pawning off goods, but they were, they were, they were deceiving people because they were cheap imitations. We're not selling cheap imitations. We're not presenting a false view of Jesus. We're presenting him as he really is. And it's our practice to do this in Christ. We're in fellowship with him. Do you want to be the fragrance of Christ? You have to spend time in the word and in prayer, just, just being still before him. And notice what else he says. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. Our perspective is our lives are open to him. And we live in light of the reality of who he is. There are cheap imitations everywhere. There's cheap imitations of Christianity. I mean, you and I, we're pretty comfortable with cheap imitations, aren't we? I mean, you know, there's plastic decking, and it looks just kind of like wood until you get up there or your dog tries to chew in there. Like, this is not wood, right? And then there's, of course, like, you know, you can have vinyl flooring, and it looks just like ceramic tile. I mean, so much so that I've had to, like, wow, man, that that literally looked like ceramic tile. I mean, it goes so far as there's even something called spray-on mud, okay? I'm like, no. Really? Yeah, there's this spray-on mud. If you, you know, you got your SUV, and you want to make it look like the, you do more than just take the kids to soccer practice with it, so you can just like, yeah, I've been on an adventure. You just got to spray that baby on there, right? And it may, wow, look at that. They have an off-road vehicle, and they even use it that way. Cool, right? It's all fake, though, but you've got your spray-on mud, and it looks like you've been on one of these wilderness adventures. That's, that's not for us. We want to be authentic. And our lives are to be a ministry of authenticity, honesty, transparency, and hope as those who love and live in Christ, our conquering king. We're the real deal. Faults, failures, but we know him. If you want to be effective in your parenting, you want to be a better friend, a more attractive and sweeter spouse, you want to experience what it means to really have a ministry at work or in your school, the answer, my friends, is found in this passage where you take on the fragrance of Jesus. And by the way, by the way, being a people of his presence, that is the mission of our church. Our mission is this, is glorifying God by living out the life we have in Christ. Sound familiar? Where did you get that? We got that right out of the text. That's our lives. The greatest ministry of our lives is our lives. And so you need to know that when you come to church or you go to school or in your neighborhood or in your home, You're the fragrance of Jesus. And you might find that it's easier to be the fragrance of Christ at church, right, than it is at your home. You ever had that experience? I have. It's painful. You know, it's easier to do a lot of things, serve, teach, but being the fragrance of Jesus. That means I have to spend time with him. Now, frankly, some of us have had the opposite effect, and I'm speaking from my own personal experience. Instead of being the fragrance of Jesus, I feel like sometimes I've just really stunk the place up. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know? The tone of your home or you enter into a particular situation. Like, oh, man, did I, I just totally destroyed that. 
Does that mean that God is through with us? Actually not. You know what? God, his mercies are new every morning. The hope of the gospel is that he's made us new in Christ. And God is in the process of giving us a new day. Did you know that you have a new week and it is in the breaking of the old patterns through trusting in the gospel and the person of Christ that we are made new and that is a fragrant aroma of the sweetness of Christ. Uh, Jim Peterson tells of a story of a guy by the name of Mario who was from South America. He met with this guy for four years and Mario, he, as he had these Bible studies, found out that he was a Marxist intellectual and he was not necessarily interested in becoming a Christian, but he would be interested in studying the Bible. And for four years, Jim meets with Mario. And eventually, Mario comes and places his faith in Christ. And they're having a conversation two years after uh, Mario places his faith in Christ. And Mario is reminiscing. He says, do you remember what, it re- what really made me decide to become a Christian? Well, Jim's thinking of all those many Bible studies or those philosophical conversations they had. And he's thinking... Yeah, it had to be that. And he's like, no, actually, it, it wasn't. And this is what he said, quote, remember that first time I stopped by your house? We were on our way someplace together, and I had a bowl of soup with you and your family. And as I sat there observing you, your wife, and your children, and how you related to each other, I asked myself, when will I have a relationship like this with my fiance? When I realized that the answer was never, I concluded that I had to become a Christian for the sake of my own survival. It's really interesting because Jim remembered the same event, but he remembered it very differently. He remembered that his children were behaving badly, so bad that he had to correct them in front of Mario. You know, it was like, oh man, you want to see what a Christian family looks like, man? They're just, it's just blowing the place up, man. And he's like, I just have to get on his kids. And it was like everything you probably didn't want it to have. And then as Jim later reflected on the event, he said this, quote, he wrote this, we tend to see the weaknesses and incongruities in our lives. And our reaction is to recoil at the thought of letting outsiders get close enough to see us as we really are. Even if our assessment is accurate, it is my observation that any Christian who is sincerely seeking to walk with God, in spite of all his flaws, is reflecting something of Christ. Of course you're not perfect, but Christ is. And we are the fragrance of Christ. And the greatest ministry of your life is your life. Let me just tell you some ways that I've found to help express the character of Christ. You just have to be with him. I'm too busy. No, you're not. Because this is our ministry. This is where joy is. It's found in being in his presence. It's found in depending upon his spirit, not our feelings, or just like, I'm just going to make this happen. God's going to have to break you of that. And it might be really painful to break you of your self-sufficiency, to bring you to Christ's dependency, but depending on his spirit allows the fragrance of Christ just to soar. Another one is just being proactive and intentional. You can't be in full retreat all the time. Well, I'm not a people person. That's fine. You don't have to be a people person, but you can't always be in retreat. You have to be proactive and intentional. You have to take the initiative. You have to forgive. You have to preserve unity. You've got to make it happen. Don't you find that people that are like this are just attractive? You know why? They're the fragrance of Christ. And then one other thing is just cultivating relationships that encourage each other. Remember I told you that Paul was depressed? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, he says, but God who comforts the depressed comforted us with the coming of Titus. We need each other. We need to encourage one another. We need to be the fragrance of Christ to one another so we can be the fragrance of Christ to all the people in our community. The greatest ministry of our lives is enjoying and expressing 
who we are in Christ because the greatest ministry of our life is our life. You know, long before people will uh, forget what we did, they'll remember who we are. And who we are is far more important than what we do. So let me just ask you, what impression are you leaving? What is the atmosphere of the room when you enter? Would you like that changed? Did you want it to increase? It comes from being in his presence. I uh, was reading about this um, candidate. He was a missionary candidate. He was in language school. First day in language school, this lady, the teacher, professor, she walks in, and she walks up and down the aisle. She doesn't say anything. She walks down every single aisle, and then she walks out of the classroom. And everybody's like, okay, what's going on here? Interesting. She walks back in, and she gets goes, did anybody notice anything? You know, no one knows what they say. Then they start, well, they make some different remarks and stuff like that. One guy said, hey, I noticed that you had some very pretty perfume on. And then everybody starts laughing. And she said, that is exactly right. Let me tell you something. Long before you ever learn Chinese to be good enough that you can actually communicate the gospel, people are going to know about the character of your lives. And it is the fragrance of Christ that will be your message. And that goes for us as well. When you walk out these doors, you're the fragrance of Christ to your family, your friends, the people in our community at work, in our schools. And the greatest ministry of your life is your life. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for an amazing passage of Scripture. You spell it out in such clear ways that we actually understand that you desire to spread your greatness and your character through our lives. So, Father, we confess our sin and all of our failures. And it's painful to be a failure. But we know that we are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And our, your mercies are new every morning, and we have a fresh start. And so, God, would you simply fill our lives with your presence in such a way that it would be evident and you'd be glorified. We ask this as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.